It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Missouri in Gainesville to face Florida this Saturday afternoon. We will talk about that game, but as we have been every week on the podcast, bringing back some former players to uh, catch up with with guys that you guys watched and see what's going on. And this week, it is former Mizzou safety David Overstreet II. And, uh, David, uh, you are. we were just talking, man. You are out in, uh, some people call it God's country, but Mizzou people don't really call it that. Why don't you, uh, first off, let everybody know how you're doing. Oh, actually, I'm doing great, man. Uh, I'm the defensive back coach here at uh, Garden City Community College in Garden City, Kansas. Uh, we, we're having a good season right now. You know, we're, we're 6-0. and Right now, we're ranked number two in the country, so our defense is doing great. So things are going well. Things I, are going well, but it is it, it is an adjustment for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you grew up in Oklahoma. You went to school in Missouri, and and now you get to live in Kansas. That's uh, you know, hey, you go where the jobs take you, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, uh, how'd you get into coaching? Well, um, after after playing in Mizzou, I got a chance in 2007 to play for the Chicago Bears, and then I uh, I started a marketing firm. I owned a marketing firm for about seven years, and I started missing I was missing football too much, missing football way too much, and I started trying to work my network that I had. And uh, Coach E, uh, Matt Eberflus, was helping me uh, get going and get my coaching, help me get started with coaching. And, I was down last year. I was down at a uh, Holmes Community College in Mississippi, mm-hmm. and then this year, uh, Jeff Sims, uh, the head coach here, called me up and said they needed somebody to come here and really, really coach the mess out of the DBs and <laughs> get them to where they needed to be. So I got here this uh, this past summer, and things were going well for us. What's it like coaching at the junior college level? I mean, uh, obviously, you know, a, a step below where you played, but I know, especially in that conference, there's a lot of guys that go on to play D1 football. Oh uh, yeah, we have uh, we play against a lot of top talent. I mean, on our team, we have a bunch of Power Five guys on our team. Like we have guys on our team that are not not playing this year, but could probably start for any other team in the country. But we have, we have a bunch of talented guys here. And the thing I, I take the biggest thing here at, at Guard City is that uh, these players, they work hard, man. Like some of the guys, we have to tell we have to make them stop. You know, cause they, they actually work really hard in the weight room. They're competing. On the field, they're competing. And we have to slow some guys down. And I think that's what's helping us with our success right now, too. It seems like a lot of the best junior college uh, programs, really not just in football but in, in all sports, are located in places where, man, there's not a lot else to do. You're there to play football. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. If they come, they come here. They come here to play football. You're exactly right. Now, uh, compare yourself to like, are, are you like any of the coaches you played for? Like, what's your coaching style like? What what, what would one of your players tell me? Yeah, Coach Overstreet. Here, here's what he's like. Well, I, I really gained a lot of my part of my coaching style from uh, Coach E. Like I said, Matt Eberflus. And also uh, what I learned from Lovey Smith as well. Uh, like with Coach E, uh, his biggest thing that we learned when I was playing in Mizzou is, and actually what I learned from Coach Pinkle, because that was like our base, our foundation for the whole thing was no excuses. Like we have to do to do no excuses whatsoever. Like my son's four years old, and he can say the no excuse quote that we used to say in Mizzou. Any <laughs> excuse, have a valid, softens your character. Therefore, I would not make excuses. And my son can say it. Because we don't do excuses. I don't do excuses. You got to get results. 
And the other thing is, uh, it's really about teaching. It's really teaching the guys not be demanding and not demeaning. You know what I mean? So give them what, also give them what you want from, give them what you want them to give you. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I want them to go hard, I got to go hard for them. You know, make sure they can get an opportunity and stuff like that. Now, uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Mizzou now, your days at Mizzou in a minute, but like, What's your uh, – I mean, where do you want to get as a coach? Uh, you know, do you want to coach college ball? you want to coach in the NFL? What's, what's your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal, I definitely want to advance, get an opportunity to coach at the Division One level. And if I have an opportunity to coach in the NFL, that'd be great as well. But I definitely want to get an opportunity to coach at the Division One level. I'm trying to focus now on um, perfecting my craft so I can get an opportunity to advance my career. Again, talking with former Mizzou safety David Overstreet and uh, – all right, Dave, first off, how much do you still, you know, follow Mizzou, watch the games, keep in touch with guys you played with? Oh, I talk to guys I played with a group of us, about 10 of us that probably talk every day on group tech, or if not on the phone. And I, we we all keep up with Mizzou football. I mean, we're Tigers. Once we put the black and gold on, man, you're Tiger all the way through. So that never fades. Now, and my wife, was a cheerleader, my wife was a cheerleader at Mizzou, so we Mizzou all the way. There you go. See, Mizzou did uh, did good things for you off the football field too. Then I guess. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right. Now, like we said, you you're a guy that you grew up in Big Twelve country. You played in the Big Twelve. Are you used to turning on uh, SEC games on Saturday yet? Yeah, I I, got, I had to make that adjustment, but it, it it came on pretty quickly because when we were playing, we used to, you know they always say the SEC is the best conference in the big, in, uh, in the country. You know, we was like where the Big 12 is because we were in the Big mm-hmm. 12. So we always wanted to play in the SEC or against SEC teams. And so now I was like, well, let's see what we can do. And then having those seasons where we are in the SEC championship games, I was like, see, it was only a matter of time we could show what was up. Now, as a guy who uh, – I mean, you were you were pretty early in, in Coach Pinkle's career here, 03 to 06, so you were probably like his, his second or third recruiting class. So – do you remember last uh, last November, I guess it was, when you kind of heard he was retiring and, and what your reaction was? Yeah, I did. We actually came back for the Tennessee game when they did the uh, halftime honor of the 2005 team. Mm-hmm. And then I came back and I brought my, my my wife and my son came with me. That was my son's first game at Mizzou. So he was excited and it was snowing. So, you know, in Texas, we live in Texas, you don't see a lot of snow in Houston. <laughs> right. So – He's excited about that, but when we heard it, man, I mean, all of us were like, we were crushed for the most part because Coach Pinkle was like a father for a lot of us, you know. So we all, all of the guys I told you I talked to all the time, we all reached out to him, called him, talked to him. Um, I talked to him several times since he's retired. I talked to him on the phone. Uh, I met with him a couple times, and uh, Coach Pinkle, what we learned from him when we were playing we actually all use today. Like, I use today as a father. I use it today as a husband. Um, you know, just being a man. Like, cause he really instilled a lot of stuff in us that was going to transition off the field. Now, uh, I, I think Barry Odom was back in the program by when you were here, but I don't think he was yet, like, a, a position coach. Uh, you know, did you, uh, did you know Coach Odom very well when you were at Mizzou? Yeah, yeah. When I was there, Coach Odom first, he was uh, one of the – uh, recruiting assistant, and then um, you know he, he he worked his way up, and he started become the director of football operations and stuff right before I was getting ready, to, right before I was leaving. 
So I always saw Coach Odom around. Coach Odom got there. I got there in 2002, and I want to say that's when Coach Odom came back to Mizzou from uh, coaching high school ball. Right, yeah. So I always, I always saw him, yeah. Okay, uh, and, and I mean, what, what's it like seeing a guy that, shoot, he's only, what, I guess probably six, seven years older than you be the uh, be the head coach at your alma mater? I mean, it's, it's cool to see him back there because, you know, he's a Mizzou guy too. You know, he played there. I mean, we would uh, – I mean, James Kenny, when James Kenny was playing with me and Coach Odom was there, Kenny would talk to Coach Odom about how he was going to break his tackling record. So seeing this guy <laughs> back there, you know, running the show, it, it's it's pretty cool. I know. Yeah, a lot of the people that that listen to this like to like to kind of hear you guys talk about. You know, I don't want to call them the old days because you're not old yet. But uh, you know, the the <laughs> days when you played. So, it, what what sticks? At, is there a game or a memory or or something that when you look back on your playing days, that's what you remember? Uh, we all remember the uh, the 2005 Independence Bowl right. when we made that comeback. That that's a huge game for us. And also, um, another one would be uh, 05 against Nebraska. When I mean, 03, I played an 03 game, and we beat Nebraska for the first time in a long time. Right. But the 05 game was a little different because, I mean, Brad just went off. Yeah. Right? Like, Brad went, Brad went off, and then that, that was a huge game for me. It was one of my best games. I uh, ended up being, like, Big 12 player of the week or something that game, and and I remember after the game, Brad and I was just talking about what this program can do because we were the first two classes that Coach Pinker recruited there. Brad was an 01, I was an 02, and we were the first two classes, and we were talking about how far we had come from when we first got there. Yeah, you see, one game, and I don't think you played in it, but you mentioned Brad, and the, the game I always think about when I think of uh, of kind of that time is, and it probably had a little extra meaning for you uh, against Oklahoma, the, the game. That, I mean, I know you guys got beat, but – I've always thought that might have been the best game of Brad's career. It was like uh, 02, maybe? 2002? Yeah. 2002, yeah. Oklahoma game? Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was my freshman year. Yeah, I was redshirting that year. That was my first year there, and I had redshirted. And I remember playing that game in Columbia. Yeah. And yep. it, was a big, it was a big deal for me. Yeah, because you, your dad was it went to OU. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah my dad played at OU, yeah. Okay, now you came to Missouri as a quarterback out of high school – how long did your college career as a quarterback last? Uh, I was a quarterback my the whole season of 2002, and probably about three weeks until the spring. And, uh, and so about three weeks until the spring, and I was still playing quarterback, and Brad was only a year ahead of me, and I'm like, I'm never going to get on this field. <laughs> this dude is a, <laughs> in the Heisman candidate every year. So after talking with some coaches and Coach Pickle and uh, our three coaches, like, man, you, you're one of the best athletes on the team. You can probably do something else. So I went and talked to Coach E, uh, Coach Eberflus, and then I called, uh, talked to Coach Yost, and they were like, yeah, man, you can come play safety. So I went and talked to Coach Pinker, and I moved over to safety, and so I, I pretty much started since my freshman year after that. Yeah, a couple, a couple of all Big 12 years and, and definitely one of the guys that, that I think a lot of people remember from that era. Now, tell me, if Brad Smith wasn't here, I mean, could you have played college quarterback? Do you, do you think you were good enough or were were you more of a, more suited for doing what you did? Actually, you know what? I probably I probably could have played quarterback, but seeing looking at my career now, I probably should have been playing safety the whole time. <laughs> I, I got and you. It worked, it worked out well for me. Yeah, no, no question about it. Now, uh, hey, I, I want to ask you a little bit because what I always think about when I think back to your career, I always think David Overstreet. That's one of those guys that when we go over for media day on Monday, 
when Coach Pinkles told all these guys not to say anything and to be quiet and not have any personality, he's always one of the guys we can go talk to for, for a quote. So, uh, hey, hey, you know, are you still I, – I know the uh, the video I tweeted out earlier, you, you referred to yourself as the mouth of the South. Have you uh, – has that calmed down since you've been a coach now? No, I'm still uh, – you can probably still get a quote out of me. It's just – it's who I am. I don't like to put on a facade for people or anything like that. And that, that's crazy how you said about the quote because your dad did my first interview at Mizzou. Is that right? Yeah, that was my first interview at Mizzou. And I remember before I did the interview, they brought me in. And they was like, all right, listen. So Mike John do an interview. So you need to make sure because, you know, it, it, you, you're on point. Cause, you know, he's going to have some tough questions for you and stuff like that. I was like, all right, no problem. And I just went at it. <laughs> see, see, that's interesting. Now, I know they put all you guys through media training and every stuff, everything. Like, yeah. did, did Coach Pickle, did those guys tell you, all right, now, you don't have to answer their questions, just don't say anything. I mean, what's media training? What's that mean for you guys? It, it, you know, don't do anything or say anything that makes yourself, your family, and the program look bad, basically. Okay. So, you know, be smart with what you say. Also, don't give bulletin board material to people. So, you know, stuff like that. That's pretty much what it was. I got you. I got you. Now, I, I want to. You said you were back for the Tennessee game. Do you guys make it back? Uh, you know, like every year, try to, or uh, or is it not that often now that you're coaching? Well, it's not that often now, and that's one of the things that my friends and I talk about. We're like, you know, we felt that we should come back. All former players that have done something should actually be back more often than just a spring game. That way, it doesn't get lost of what we did to get the program to where it is. You know, because we we went through a lot to just to get to where these guys are now, and I think that kind of gets lost in the fact that all the guys they got all this new stuff, they got all these different uniforms and all these facilities and stuff like that. Like that money came in because of what we did. You know what I mean? Right. So, and we 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 were talking about man, we got to make sure. And with Will Franklin being there. Uh, with the helping with the player personnel stuff, he reaches out to us too and says the same thing. We need to do more to try to bridge that gap so they can actually understand what Tiger football is about because all these people came before you to do this to get you to where you decided to sign that letter of intent because of what they have and what they've accomplished. What was when you came in in '02? I mean, what were the the facilities, the stadium, just the state of the program in general compared to what it is? You know, 15 years later. Gabe, you know, hey, I know you remember the indoor facility with that turf. Oh yeah, yeah. Man, that turf that turf tore up so many players' knees, man. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, man. Then we had the we had the old grass field and the sprinklers were on top of the field, so the the grass wouldn't root very well. So if you were cutting, it was coming up. You know, yeah, that. And then we had you know the old Tom Taylor building. Yeah, yeah. You remember that. It was, it was one point in time when they were trying to build the new facility that our locker room was the game day locker room, and we had to lift weights in the indoor facility. That they made then they made a weight room out of plywood and two by fours <laughs> in the indoor facility in the summer. That's what we had to lift until the until the new weight room got built. See, you were just you were just here like ten fifteen years too early, man. Now 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 they have all the nice stuff. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All right, well, David, I appreciate it, man. Good to catch up with you, and uh, and best of luck out there in Garden City. All right, thank you. All right, have a good one. All right, you too.
David Overstreet, former Mizzou safety. And uh, like I say, he was one of the guys, my first few years covering the team, I started in 03. So that would have been David's redshirt freshman year, first year he played. And uh, he was he was one of the good ones, man. He was always fun to talk to. And uh, as you can tell, still is. Coaching defensive backs out at Garden City Community College, looking to move up. And, uh, you know, like a lot of these guys we've been talking to, still follows Mizzou every week. It, it still means a lot to him. And uh, so good to catch up with him. Welcome in now, Landon Watnick from Inside the Gators covers the Florida program for the Rivals.com network. Landon, how you doing today, man? Doing pretty good. How about you? Not too bad. Uh, waiting to uh, waiting to get down to Florida in some 85 degree weather. Uh, I can put the hoodie away for a couple days, and, and that'll be good this weekend. <laughs> so, uh, first thing, yeah, it's beautiful out here. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I've seen like 85 and sunny on Saturday, like the open air press box. Uh, we we don't do much of that in Missouri after October 1st. So. Uh, we'll, uh, yeah, we'll talk about this game this weekend in a minute, but obviously the story out of Gainesville all week long has been, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the cancellation postponement, whatever it might be of, of last week's game. First of all, first of all, just as somebody who's been around it, what's kind of your view of exactly how everything went down? And uh, I mean, is everybody still talking about that or do most people say, Hey, there's actually a game that is going to be played now? It's just a hot topic on plenty of Gator fans' minds. It's it's been a topic of discussion, obviously, since you know the middle of last week, and it's been an ongoing controversy. Obviously, Florida fans really want to know when this game is going to be played, and you got a lot of posturing from both sides. It kind of seems like uh, on LSU's end, they've kind of been you know just really pushing a sort of narrative that Florida's tried to duck the game, but. They couldn't be further from the fact. Florida's obviously reiterated multiple times that they want to play this game. It's just kind of figuring out now how that's going to happen. And obviously, they're going to have to do some shuffling on the on the schedule if they're going to play this game. And right now, November nineteenth, obviously, it looks like a possible date. But LSU's been pretty adamant about not wanting to lose their home game against South Alabama, and Florida's fine with buying out Presbyterian. So it's a very complex situation, but. Yeah, it's, it's it's still a hot topic on plenty of people's minds right now. Well, and and what I've thought is it's a bunch of people getting mad about something that hasn't even happened yet. I mean, look, the SEC yeah. is not going to send a Florida team that finishes half a game ahead of Tennessee to the SEC title game without that game being played. I mean, they're going to figure something mm-hmm. out. Isn't that kind of what the what the thought is down there? Yeah, you would think so. Obviously, Greg Stanky said that the game needs to be played. It, it's just going to take really an agreement from both sides. I kind of think that how Joe Lev is doing it now, obviously going out front in the media and kind of, you know, trying to sway public opinion, saying that, you know, LSU is not going to play this game. I think he's just trying to, you know, kind of get the court of public opinion on his side. But it, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this kind of plays out. I mean, both schools really need to make an agreement because how I kind of see it, LSU needs that game more than Florida right now. Obviously, Florida could, I mean, just speaking of hypothetical scenarios here, but. If Florida wins out and Tennessee loses uh, at least another game, Florida's in. But LSU would need Alabama to have two losses, even if it were to beat Bama. So right now, Florida benefits more from not having that game. But Florida's been pretty adamant about wanting to play it. It's going to really, I guess, the ball in a sense is kind of an LSU sport right now. Yeah. So, so an unplanned bye week for Florida. Uh, how does that do you yeah. think impact them going into the Missouri game? I mean, is it? Is it a benefit of, of kind of an extra week off, or uh, or do you think it has much impact? It, it, it helps out a bunch, obviously. Florida was entering that LSU game a little banged up. There were some guys 
on both sides of the ball, including Luke Del Rio, who's obviously going to start this weekend, who we're dealing with injuries. And that said that Luke Del Rio would have been available for LSU, but I don't think he would have been 100%. Now he's looking pretty healthy and pretty sharp out there. Got to catch him in practices this week. He's been pretty, you know, active with the first-team offense and whatnot. So he's going to be the starter. And there are some other guys on uh, just the offensive and defensive line. Uh, the starting left tackle, David Sharp, was dealing with a shoulder injury. He's good now after that week of rest. And then a couple guys on that defensive line, Caleb Brantley is dealing with a hand injury, but he should be good to go. And then Brian Cox was dealing with some knee tendonitis and an ankle injury. He's good to go now. So Florida had some guys definitely banged up, but, but that week of rest really came at a beneficial time. And obviously Florida kind of got on somewhat of an even footing with Missouri because Mizzou had that bye week. And Florida had a mini bye week of sorts to kind of start preparation there. So it was certainly helpful on uh, both those ends. Yeah, yeah, to me, uh, you know, Missouri certainly is a team. We're still not sure. We think they're better than last year, but not sure how much better because they haven't haven't beaten yeah. anybody any good. And you look at Florida's schedule, I mean, outside of the Tennessee game, which obviously didn't go their way, Florida hasn't exactly been tested uh, by by a real good team yet either. Do you Do you have a feeling for, you know, what Florida is as a team, or is that still something kind of to be revealed? It's kind of hard. Honestly, because, I mean, Tennessee was really their one true test, but they were without their starting quarterback. I mean, Luke Real was out of that game with a sprained MCL. He had Austin Appleby, who obviously is a downgrade at that position. So, I mean, defensively, we've kind of gotten a decent idea, but on, on the offensive side of the ball, I, I really want to see how this team kind of fares with, you know, the full group on offense against a, a decent opponent. And, uh, I mean, that Tennessee game, you, you saw the collapse in the second half. That kind of told us some things. But, uh, yeah, I definitely want to see moving forward how the offense well, that's kind of what Tennessee does. They score 35 in every second half, apparently. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah. Del Rio, we know he's back. Um, you know, do you, th- is he 100%? I mean, do you expect him to, to just pick up where he left off, or is there a little adjustment period early on? I, I think he picks up where he left off. Um, how kind of stand in practice? Florida hasn't limited him. He's responded well to everything. Uh, McElwain said that he's had, he had some swelling last week, but. He's responded better, than, you know, just how everything's kind of gone this week. So I, th- I don't think there'll be any limitations there. I think they're going to, you know, let him go out and do what he does. Obviously, if he happens to experience some pain in the game, maybe before it turns to Appleby. But I would think that they're going to give him a shot and let him see what he's able to do. Talking Florida Gators with Landon Watnick from InsideTheGators.com. And uh, Florida has four guys who have run for 100 yards, but Barry Odom said this week that, that the wideouts, Powell and Callaway, are guys that, quote, keep you up at night. So if you're going into yeah. a game against Florida, what what do you have to take away first? Uh, the run game. Uh, really the biggest weakness right now in offense is probably the offensive line. That's been a very, very inconsistent group for the most part. Really outside of the Kentucky game, the group really hasn't had that much of – had very many strong performances this year. It's – the group struggled, uh, you know, kind of just generating much in the run game, really opening up, you know, lanes and holes down the middle. So if Missouri could shut down the run early, that would stop a lot of what Florida likes to do, which is kind of just uh, generating, you know, passing game through play action and all those types of things. So th- that's probably the key. I mean, obviously Florida now is kind of going with this running back by committee approach. It'll be interesting to see if, you know, they kind of shy away from that because, I mean, Jordan Scarlett's been – the most consistent contributor of that bunch up to this point. He's both the best, but Florida's been pretty adamant of giving Michael P. Ryan and Mark Thompson and Jordan Cronkite snaps as well at running back. So 
it's, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that goes down. But I, I, wide out, definitely Kyle is in the stand-up by far. Brandon Powell's capable of doing some things as well, but he's kind of had a couple down games recently. So, I mean, those are the guys that really look out for at wide receiver. But it, it's going to come down to shutting down the run. If, if you shut down the run, then it kind of limits what Florida wants to do offensively. Yeah, and uh, shutting down the run, not exactly something Missouri excelled at last time they were on the field, 418 yards against LSU. Flip it over to the other side. Even when Florida was was having the down years under Will Muschamp, they were fantastic defensively. Where Where's this defense kind of stack up against some of the ones we've seen since Missouri joined the SEC? Well, Jalen Tabor actually brought up a pretty good point just as far as the secondary goes, but I, I kind of see it with the whole defense as well. Honestly, this group's really had one bad half of football. I mean, Vanderbilt, the, the defensive line was struggling a little bit, but they were pretty shorthanded and banged up. I mean, they're starting four along the defensive front. We're dealing with injuries, but they've got a couple of those guys back now. But really just one truly bad half of football, and that was the second half against Tennessee. Pretty solid in all three phases. I mean, obviously, heading into this matchup, they're going to be without two starters on the defensive front. Joey Ivey, the nose tackle, dealing with the thumb injury. that's going to keep them out for a bit. And then Jordan Sherritt had arthroscopic surgery on his knee, the starting defensive end. He's going to be out as well. But Florida's pretty deep on the defensive line. I mean, there, there are some young contributors that kind of struggled against Vanderbilt, but guys like CC Jefferson and Jabari Zunega, they're going to get see bigger roles this weekend and get pretty involved. And, and then when you, I guess when you look at the linebackers as well, I mean, Jared Davis and Alex Anzalone, one of the best uh, linebacker tandems right now in the SEC, they've been performing pretty well. And then the secondary – kind of hungry, you know, avenge that second half against Tennessee where, you know, guys were burning them left and right. They've been pretty solid this year except for that game. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a matchup I really want to see, you know, just for the secondary against Drew Locke and that Mizzou passing effect. Yeah, that that to me is kind of the key. I mean, the the game against LSU, Mm -hmm. look, it was a disaster for Missouri on all fronts. But to me, the biggest thing was – LSU had physical defensive backs that just got up and beat Missouri's guys up on the line of scrimmage. Missouri, Drew Locke had nobody open in almost that whole game. I mean, do you think, I guess, compare, comparing the personnel, is Florida pretty similar? Do they have guys that you think are, are capable of doing that? Oh, certainly. You brought up a really good point, actually, in our uh, Behind the Enemy Line series for Q&A for our site. Just the Florida really gets into more press coverage, man-to-man type of stuff. I think that they could benefit this game. Obviously, Jeff Collins likes to run a lot of zone, but if they kind of switch it up and let some of Florida's longer, more athletic quarters, you know, kind of you know, go go straight up against some of Mizzou's wideouts, I think it could really benefit him here. Obviously, guys like Tabor and Quincy Wilson really thrive in that regard. So if Florida lets those guys kind of, you know, make plays and, you know, just really get physical with Mizzou's wideouts, I think it could really help out. Yeah, anytime you're dealing with with games that a lot of people think are going to be, you know, high teens, low twenties, and I think a lot of people, including me, think that about this game. Uh, you know, special teams can can play a big factor. At House Florida mm-hmm. in the kicking in the return game. Well, just as far as the kicking and punting goes, it's it's been a bright spot this year. I mean, Johnny Townsend's been one of the best punters in the country. He's been excellent, averaging more than fifty yards for punt attempt. I mean, he's getting some Ray Guy Award consideration. Then Eddie Pinheiro, obviously, and everybody around the SEC knows how hyped he's been since, you know, <laughs> all those YouTube videos making 70-yard field goals right. and stuff. But he's been pretty solid this year. I mean, he really only had one bad game, and that was against Kentucky where he missed two. But in that same game, he had a long of 54 yards. Uh, other than that, he's been pretty reliable this year. So Florida's good in the kicking department, but the return game has been kind of almost in a sense non-existent. I mean, Antonio Callaway was a dynamic punt returner a year ago, but he really hasn't done much in the punt return game. And then Florida's really kind of 
trying to find, you know, who's going to step up at kickoff returner. And they haven't really found the guy yet there. So it's kind of been not too impressive on that front. But, I mean, it, it's really kind of just been up and down when you look at the entire special teams as a whole. The uh, uh, Florida's punter's really good. Missouri's punter's really good. Personally, I hope we don't see a ton of either one of them. But, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a punt fest. <laughs> yeah, for a year and a half, Missouri's punter maybe has been the MVP of the football team, which isn't very isn't a very good thing. But uh, this series yeah. in Gainesville has been so just so bizarre. The last two trips, I mean, four years ago, they, they mm -hmm. come down and Missouri moves up and down the field and throws four picks and only scores seven points. And then two years ago, they can't move at all, and they score 42. So I, I assume we'll see something approaching a more normal football game this time around. Yeah, I always think back to the 2014 game. I mean, darkest moment of the Wolf Muschamp era, in my opinion. I mean, yeah. Missouri, what were they held to? Less than 120 yards but, of offense. 119 yards. And, yeah, 119 <laughs> yards and 42 points. Yeah, you get a punt return touchdown. You get a kickoff return touchdown. Uh, pick six. Yep. Uh, fumble, fumble recovery for a touchdown is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I actually went back and uh, and I was looking at an old game story from that game, and, and it basically yeah. said Missouri did almost nothing except wait for Florida to self destruct in every possible way, and that's what they did. I'll never forget that Shane Ray versus DJ Humphreys matchup. That was that was something. I mean, Shane Ray dominated him in that game, and Florida couldn't get anything going. That was just. That was one of the poorest offensive displays I've ever seen. <laughs> it was, and actually, they might have been the better offensive team in that game. But, uh, <laughs> Landon, looking forward to this one, man. We'll uh, we'll see you on Saturday afternoon, and thanks for taking some time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'll see you Saturday. All right, have a good one. Landon Watnick, inside the Gators.com, covers uh, the University of Florida. They do a good job. Check that out. Um, that's our counterpart on the Rivals.com network. Uh, so, you know, it's pretty interesting. I'm not sure what to think of Missouri, and I'm not real sure what to think of Florida. I, I mean, I think Florida's better, uh, but, you know, they, they haven't really – they've had one game uh, against a good team, and they got beat. Uh, gave up 35 straight points in the second half. Now, the flip side is their weak competition. I mean, look, Kentucky and Vanderbilt aren't good teams, but they have won those games. You know, uh, Florida isn't a team that's going to beat – beat most people 42-35. They're going to beat a lot of people 20-10. to 10. So Missouri has to find a way to, to put up some points and and hopefully uh, take the ball away, take a little bit of Florida's offense. I mean, it's it's not an offense that's going to put up a ton of points, but make it a, an offense that doesn't put up very many points at all. So kickoff 3 o'clock Saturday on the SEC Network. I am headed to Gainesville, actually to Orlando tomorrow, Gainesville Saturday. We'll have full coverage this weekend. Thanks to Landon Watnick. Thanks to David Overstreet for joining us, and we'll be back on the podcast next Thursday.